your last implementation was 10 years ago, you probably don't know that or remember that. I think pulling data out of QuickBooks can be challenging. So people, they spend hours trying to figure out how do we get the data out with all the correct fields. And yeah, right. So like that, it, people like often this isn't their their primary job, right? They they've got a day job as well, and so this is just extra work that they they need to be kind of doing. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. Data migration is extremely complex. It is especially more challenging when the source data may have different structure and governance rules than the destination structure. For example, file-driven databases may allow edits of journal entries as well as debits and credits on the same account. The downstream datasets such as GL entries are far easier than the upstream datasets such as inventory, transactions, fixed assets, or projects. If not analyzed carefully, data conversion projects may take forever and might not provide meaningful insights. In today's episode, our guest Paul Giese shares the insights about the challenges associated with NetSuite data migration. He also talks about how the limitations of QuickBooks may require reversing the transactions before data can be migrated. Finally, he discusses why the upstream data sets such as inventory, sales transactions, projects, and fixed assets could be more challenging to migrate than just the journal entries. Let me introduce Paul to you. Paul Giese is a data migration specialist who has helped 40-plus organizations migrate data into NetSuite. He has worked with QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Desktop, Zero, Apicore, Sage 50, Sage Intact, Wave, and others. Has been running his business for three years and has worked for 12 plus years in various accounting roles, primarily in the life sciences industry. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me, Sam. Of course, and I'm super excited to have you as well because kind of insights that you bring from the data migration perspective. You have done a couple of episodes and each episode uh, always brings very unique insights. So that makes me super excited for today's app. Uh, on that note, do you want to start with a quick uh, background about yourself and current focus, Paul? Sure thing. Yeah. So I am a data migration specialist. I primarily help small and medium businesses, mostly moving off of QuickBooks, migrate their data into NetSuite as part of a NetSuite implementation. So I've worked with QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Desktop, Zero, Sage, uh, Intact, and a couple other different systems. And I've been running my business for about three years. I've helped about 40 plus implementations at this point over that time frame. And I have an accounting background. And yeah, been a, a fun journey coming. Never imagined that this is where I'd end up, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, data migration is not going to be a, a you know fun for a lot of people, but the people who really enjoy, I guess, uh, it could be fun. <laughs> we are going to have a lot of fun digging into those stories. But before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, Paul, and we would like to understand your perspective as well. So what is your perspective on business growth? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, business growth is obviously if you're adding a tremendous amount of value to your clients or your customers, um, you know, people are going to want, as long as you're solving problems, I think your business will grow because, you know, there's a tremendous amount of problems out in the world. And it's all about, you know, adding value for people. And the more you do that, I think the more people will refer you to others and, yeah. and really, you know, want people will have only a limited amount of time and resources. And so if you can solve an, a niche problem, you know, especially in my business, you know, there's a very niche thing and area that I'm working on. And, you know, I think people have really benefit from my services. So I think it's that's for anybody who's interested in starting their own business. It's all about, I think, finding that unique value proposition and then kind of expanding on that as you kind of grow and learn more about what kind of problems you're trying to solve. Yeah, solving problems, it is. That's going to be probably the most important theme of anything that anybody does. So thank you so much for bringing that. So now let's go back to the the data migration argument, right? And again, I will provide some colors based on the episodes that we have recorded. We probably understand 0.01% of data migration. Okay, so hopefully today we are probably going to be understanding 1%. I don't know, uh, you know, based on these <laughs> stories that because the data migration is a very, very, very deep topic, especially when we look at the financial data. And sometimes it's very hard to communicate for people. I personally struggle a lot when I am talking to customers. Some customers that are sort of seasoned in their ERP journey, they understand the challenges of data migration. The other ones that are new for them, everything is, you know, AI should be at the click of a button, you know, that's their mindset. So for them, okay, how about I copy my QuickBooks data and paste it in my any other ERP? So one of the challenges that they struggle to understand always is going to be your historical data uh, and your transactional data, open data versus some sort of, you know, balancing data that um, is very common in the ERP. The other layer that is often misunderstood is going to be when you are looking at, let's say, CRM data. CRM data is going to be tight, but it's not going to be as tight as your finance. Mm -hmm. Financial data is going to have far more tightness, but most people just don't understand why that is. So I don't know, you know, if you're going to have any sort of commentary there based on my comments, uh, you know, any sort of stories, whatever you can offer, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think financial data, right? One of the, I guess, challenges, but also, you know, benefits of migrating uh, financial data is like, you know what the right answer is at the end of the day. It's like, once the client shuts off their QuickBooks file and they say, okay, we're ready to migrate our data, I can run their trial balance. And I know, okay, this is the right answer, right? I have to get all the historical data to balance to that trial balance. And so from a sense, right, that's, that brings a challenge, right? Because it's like, it has to be right. The client's auditors, the board, the CFO, the accounting team, they're relying on that data to, to do their job and to, you know, talk to investors and, and raise money. Um, but, you know, because you know what that right answer is, it's like, I know what I'm working towards and it, it's kind of a black or white problem. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I think with CRM data, obviously that's essential to like having your contacts with the right companies and you need that for a strong sales organization. I think that, I guess it's, it's a little bit more, you know, soft in the sense that like, 
there's no one, the, the auditors aren't going to ask like, Hey, why is my, why is your CRM data wrong? You know? Yeah. So I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. Auditor's perspective is definitely going to be important. But I guess when we look at the tightness of data and the way I personally like to define the tightness of data, when you are going to be doing the migration in case of financial data, and I think you touched that you can only migrate your open balance. If you are trying to migrate the historical data, then good luck with that. Because then what you need to do is you need to literally mimic and replicate every single transaction, every single data dependency, the way it was back then. And then finally close each of the transactions, each of the periods. Right, right. <laughs> well, that's actually, I mean, Sam, that's actually what my tool and my service does is we re- basically reproduce the QuickBook transactions and load those into NetSuite so that the client can see, hey, here's the vendor bill. We paid Fisher Scientific, uh, you know, $100 and it was paying bill A and B for, you know, $50. And yeah, I mean, that's extremely challenging, right? You have to create the linkage of like, hey, we have to enter all the vendor bills first. And then we have, then you have to load the the vendor payment and assign the correct ID to that and get the timing correct. And that's really the service that I provide for my clients for, you know, mostly for 1099, for audit reporting, sales history, that kind of data. Yeah. So when we look at this whole data migration piece, and I know that you have a tool for that, but, you know, is tool plug and play where you are going to put the tool, hey, QuickBooks, go, connection string, boom, done. Uh, you know, yeah. go go and sell stuff. <laughs> and I have my 15 years of data. I can almost guarantee that it doesn't work that way because each data element is going to be different. Each QuickBooks setup is going to be different the way it is set up. I have seen crazy scenarios with some businesses when I talk about some of the retail businesses. They were actually storing, can you believe this, okay? The departments mm-hmm. or the dimensions as part of their customer record in their mm-hmm. ERP. Can you believe this? Now your tool, mm-hmm. your fundamental assumption your tool is going to be right. when you are calling customer, I expect my customer data. I don't expect diamonds. Right, right, right. That's a very different relationship right there. So tell me a little bit well, about you. Know, yeah, I, I think I definitely would preface. I always preface with clients like, hey, like there's no guarantee that we can do this, right? We're talking most of the time these are, you know, service-based companies or they're non-inventory. Um, you know, like I had a client that I was working with that was, you know, a retail consumer retail business. And they were, I mean, I don't know how many we, they, they had like 3 million sales transactions that they were running through QuickBooks desktop and they wanted to bring in the sales history in the net suite. And now to bring in the full transactional history for a client like that would just be, you know, that would be crazy. And I wouldn't recommend doing that. We did bring in the historical sales transactions, but there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into, you know, mapping you know, the item history that's in QuickBooks and bring that in from the, their own SQL database and then kind of merging all of that into NetSuite. And, and there's obviously a tremendous amount of work and consulting that I do with the client to say, hey, okay, how do we map all this data? Because as you said, right, every client is different. The way they use their segments is different. And I think that's part of the expertise and the guidance that I, you know, bring is like, say, hey, like, how do you set up, how have you set up your QuickBooks file? How are you going to be setting up your NetSuite file? And then it's really a mapping exercise of saying, okay, well, all those QuickBook accounts, how do those map up to your new NetSuite accounts? And then it's, you know, maybe you're using a lot of my biotech clients will use the customer field in QuickBooks because they don't, you know, there's no revenue because they're pre-revenue companies and they use that customer segment to track program data. 
And so, right, like that's a unique, that's a very unique setup that, you know, I have to be aware of. And it's like, okay, well, that's what we work with. We document everything and then we make sure that it works. And, 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 you know, I've had a, I, I don't think I've ever had a client where we weren't able to, to get their data in. So this is a very interesting example or the story that you have offered there, even in biotech space, they are using um, the customer record to store the dimensions. And I don't know where this is coming from and who recommended this in the QuickBooks community, but this is a crazy idea. And I don't know, this is very consistent among accountants. I mean, I wouldn't say it's consistent across accountants, but definitely in the biotech space, you have no customers, right? You're you're just selling or you're just spending money you have no customers where you're issuing invoices it's it, because quickbooks is limited to the number of uh dimensions that you can use they you know, you you basically will use customers like a, it's almost like a free segment that you can use to track this data now obviously if if like theoretically right this biotech organization grew to the point where they were selling you know actual products in using QuickBooks, then that would be a problem, obviously, right? But most of these companies, you know, they know that they're not going to be on QuickBooks forever because of uh, Sarbanes-Oxley requirements. And so they, you know, move off of QuickBooks fairly quickly into their, you know, life um, where you have a lot more functionality and you would you wouldn't set up NetSuite to do that. It's really kind of, a, I guess, like a hack because QuickBooks is cheap and free and or not free, but it's it's easy to use and and it. You know, and it works, honestly. I mean, I would say a decent number of my biotech clients have their chart set up that way. So, yeah, so this is the consistent trend that I have seen in the retail space. Retail space, they are going to be storing either the departments or the stores just to track as the dimension. And that's how they are doing P&L. Uh, just because, you know, as you correctly pointed out, that they don't dimension. So in each industry, I, I think they are probably going to be slightly more creative. In the retail space, when you are going to be looking at these 80 million, 100 million dollar businesses, I'm like, okay, you are not being audited, probably don't have a problem. But typically, if I were the auditor, I would probably see that as a red flag. So have you seen when uh, these auditors are coming in and they are going to be extremely fussy about, you know, how your revenue is going to be recognized, whether your revenue is really accounted in the right, uh, you know, period or not. And obviously, this is a very creative way of using uh, QuickBooks, and that could have implications mm-hmm. on the other areas. I don't know, you know, I'm I'm going to be feeling very nervous uh, overall in terms of, you know, how the yeah, costing yeah. is done uh, <laughs> because, you know, uh, you are not necessarily using the field that it was designed for. So in your experience, when you are going through these audit experiences, have you seen any sort of, uh, you know, red flags that you typically get from the auditors when they look at, uh, you know, setups like this? So not... Auditors typically won't get upset about using the customer as like a, a program segment. Yeah. But typically auditors do get upset with QuickBooks because there's a lack of segregation of duties, right? So it's like basically in most ERPs, right? You set up user roles and you can say, Hey, like staff accountant can't, you know, edit revenue or, you know, you kind of rules like that, right? Exactly. Where QuickBooks, you know, there's basically like, an admin user and a standard user, and that's it, right? And you can delete anything. It, it's pretty, you know, the benefit of QuickBooks, which is the ease of use, the simplicity, the low cost, also ends up being kind of the detriment when you know you're a you know a, a biotech company that's kind of on the IPO track, and you know it's like, hey, these auditors are auditing you with kind of a, a 
preparing you for being a publicly traded company. And, and that's typical. That's the main reason why these companies actually move off of QuickBooks, right, to NetSuite is because of that Sarbanes-Oxley, the stock compliance. So, you know, but I, in my experience, yeah, the auditors, you know, you got to, again, these pre-revenue companies, they don't have any revenue. They're not looking at, you know, any revenue recognition issues. If, if they do have revenue, it's usually done. It's a collaboration agreement, which can be recorded with a journal entry. And that's, you know, and, and that that's the accounting around that's very complicated, but it's not transactional revenue like uh, like a grocery store or like a web retailer where where you know they've got a large volume of transactions. So when these let's say auditors are coming in, what are some of the simple questions that they are going to ask? And I don't know if they are going to be worried about you know which system you are using, uh, what kind of processes you are going to have. Obviously, everybody is going to say that my processes are perfect. I mean, there's no problem here. <laughs> you know, that's how every business is, right? Um, so what is that interaction and how do they sort of discover that you might have problems and, you know, where they should be red flagging it? So are you, are you talking about data migration specifically? No, I'm talking about the whole auditing process. And, you know, obviously the data migration is going to be sort of part of that, uh, right? Because if you are going to have red flags, okay, what do we do about it? Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, I mean, usually, right, they 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 give kind of a, an opinion on like saying, hey, like your systems configuration, because, you know, you're a small, like typically these are small accounting teams. They have two to three people and everybody kind of has to do everything. So you can't have the appropriate segregation of duties. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they're looking at, you know, your your accounting treatment around accruals. Um, they're looking at the classification between G&A versus R&D, um, which that, you know, QuickBooks can handle that pretty easily with the class field. Um, and that's, you know, almost always how I see clients configuring, um, you know, tracking that department spend, right? Usually departments going to roll into a G&A group or a, a R&D group. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, they're looking at expense classification, that kind of thing. Okay, so very interesting. So now, you know, obviously, you are saying that these guys don't really have revenue. So that's probably not going to be a problem overall from the data mic perspective. And typically, one of the drivers mm-hmm. when we are going to be looking at data migration is always going to be that customer history, sales history. So in this particular case, that's yeah. probably not the driver. So so why are we migrating data? Are these the requirements from the auditors that you have seven years of history, I guess, especially in the biotech space, they have that requirement that you need to have that kind of history in your system to be able to track. Mm-hmm. Is that why are you keeping the historical data? Well, yeah, there's. I think there's a couple different reasons. First, when you have you're doing an annual audit, right? And if you migrate, if you move from, let's say your go live and NetSuite is say seven one, right? You're going live midway through the year. Clients will often that when it comes to year end of that year, right? Then you have to pull audit requests out of two different systems, right? So you have to pull data out of QuickBooks, then you've got data out of NetSuite, right? So they can hire me to basically bring in all that data so that you know they only have to pull data out of NetSuite instead of two systems. Also for 1099 reporting, that's another common reason. So they can get all their 1099 data out of NetSuite. For budget versus actual, you can see your transactional data in in one system instead of two. And and frankly, it's, you know, this is a problem, you know, that, you know, consultants, you know, the the implementation consultants, you know, they're typically not going to, this isn't usually included in their scope of work. I mean, they're incentivized, I think, to bring in the minimal amount of data. And the clients often want to bring in more of the data. And 
So when clients either don't have capacity to do it, or they're trying to manage their day job on top of this implementation, if it's something like, hey, we can hire this guy who's done this a bunch of times to kind of solve this problem, take care of everything for us. You know, I part of my uh, package that I give to my clients is an audit documentation package where we do all the trial balance tieouts, all the AP, AR, subledger tieouts, um, a P&L by department, P&L by class. We document everything in a memo. So really that deliverable for the client, so they have peace of mind so that when the auditors do come to look at that in the implementation, they say, hey, well, we've got everything for you already. And the client doesn't have to worry about it, you know, because these are, you know, typically the controller at a, a biotech, they're managing, you know, five to seven different things on top of a NetSuite implementation. And this is just a problem they don't have to worry about. Yeah. So let's say if I'm doing this by myself, so what are some of the challenges that you have seen with the clients that try to do it by themselves? Yeah. So most clients, right, in their you know career, maybe will do a handful of ERP implementations, right? And every system is different, right? So for example, in QuickBooks Online, believe it or not, you can issue a check and not designate who the check is made out to. So you can have a, a check made out to like nobody. Yeah. And NetSuite obviously won't let you do that, right? So right there, you have a, a, a system difference where I have a check transaction in QuickBooks that's configured one way, but NetSuite won't let me configure that same check transaction the same way. Right. And so if you're trying to bring in these transactions as an end user, you're learning all this stuff on the fly, right? It's like, oh, well, I tried to load these checks the way they were in QuickBooks. And they're now they're not working in NetSuite, right? Because of a system limitation or more system rules in NetSuite, I would say, right? And so for me, right, like that, that's a challenge that you're going to have if you've only done, if you if your last implementation was 10 years ago, you probably don't know that or remember that. I think pulling data out of QuickBooks is, can be challenging, right? So that's another area where you know, people, you know, they, they spend hours, you know, trying to figure out how do we get the data out with all the correct fields. And yeah, right. So like that, it's people like often this isn't their, their primary job, right? They, they've got a day job as well. And so this is just extra work that they, they need to be kind of doing. And then the mapping exercise of saying, Hey, like we want to change our, our chart of accounts, right? We're, we've got the old controller had. I don't like that chart anymore. Now we, we're going to reconfigure it, but I want to translate all my historical data to to be in the new chart, right? So that's all stuff that can be very challenging to complete on your own. And then getting that data into NetSuite can be challenging as well, right? And so those are the kind of things that, hey, you know, if, if you don't have time or capacity to do, right, we can, you know, I can take care of that for you. Okay, so very interesting. So one of the points that I could call uh, catch in uh, that description is uh, the QuickBooks lim limitation of the check number. And obviously, that is the testament for the weak data integrity that we have as part of QuickBooks. And that typically poses a lot of challenge. And that is something I like to call is when you are going to be migrating from your non-SQL database to a SQL-centric database, obviously, even if you are migrating from SQL to SQL, still you are going to have a lot of challenges because each of the data model is going to be different. And then if you are trying to be creative where you are using customer as the vendor, vendor as the customer, good luck with that migration. That's going to be even more complex. So I like to call it as when you are going to have non-SQL database, especially when you are going to be on systems like QuickBooks, ProShop, there are many different systems out there that are going to be slightly more file-based or they are going to be off from the core ERP data model 
the data migration issues are going far more. So obviously, check number limitation that you just mentioned or the check reference limitation that you just mentioned is just one. Have you seen any other limitations from your experience when you are looking at QuickBooks data that is either incomplete, not complete, or subject to error, subject to interpretation? Yeah, I mean, I think there's like you can have a vendor bill, right, where you you the vendor bill at the header level, you're crediting AP and then you're debiting an expense typically, right? Yeah. In QuickBooks, you can you can actually debit another account's payable account, which is kind of interesting, right? So in NetSuite, you can't do that. So that's another limitation where it's like, okay, well, if a client did have a transaction like that, you know, now, you know, we need to flip that into a journal entry, right? And so I usually catch that kind of thing. There are definitely quirks like that where you have to know, okay, well, this is the, the way it is in the old system. And then make sure that those transactions are translated to the correct you know, format in the new system. So, okay, so that's a very interesting comment right there. So when you talk about, okay, when you are going to have your vendor bill in NetSuite, it's always going to go to AP. It's not going to go to some other account, right? But technically, you could do that in NetSuite as well because you have to configure chart of account at the bill level wherever you want. I mean, see, when you do the setup, when you do the implementation, you have to do that. And hopefully, if you have, uh, you know, worked with a qualified consultant who sort of know what they are doing, they probably would set up it as the AP account but technically, if you think about it, I mean, you can probably go to some other account. So again, I am not too sure why is there a data migration issue. Let's say if they have, uh, you know, uh, let's say did not, if the amount did not go to your AP, it went somewhere else, then it's probably not going to reconcile, right? Is that what is the problem? Right. There? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it wouldn't reconcile. And then you have to figure out, okay, well, what didn't, what didn't come over the way it was supposed to, and you figured, and you have to figure that out. And if you're doing that on your own, right, you're you haven't looked at this before. You're learning on the fly, and you're like, hey, well, like I have 50 missing transactions. Like, why did these not load? That can be really challenging and overwhelming, right? And I think that that's kind of where having you know a consultant who focuses only on data migration can be really beneficial because you know you're. The implementation consultants might know, they'll know NetSuite very well. The client should know QuickBooks very well. But, you know, is there somebody who understands accounting data and QuickBooks and NetSuite, right, to kind of say, okay, well, this is where the constraints are and where the limitations are and in, in getting that those that data into the system. Yeah, so I don't know if you're able to provide some more colors in terms of how those layers are built from the data migration perspective. So let's say I have my QuickBooks data here, right? In QuickBooks, I have my vendor bills and they have their own way of doing the transactions. Now I am trying to bring each of the dependency, each of the layer in NetSuite because that's going to have, uh, you know, slightly tighter data integrity. I'm probably mm -hmm. going to be writing my chart of accounts first after I have written my chart of accounts. Right, right. And the next thing that I'm going to do is probably going to be writing the next layer and somewhere it is going to break that, okay, my AP did not reconcile because I brought these transactions assuming that they must be written to my AP account, but they were not accounted to AP. So something is, some 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 gap is here. So do you want to describe the right. process of how these layers are, are structured in terms of data migration? Sure. So I think, right, like, let's say the way that, this is the way I do it, right? We get, I get a transaction list from QuickBooks, right? Yeah. We'll look at your entire, it's basically your GL data dump. And we're looking at the transaction types and we're saying, okay, like if you have a vendor bill where you're debiting an accounts payable account and you're crediting an accounts payable account, like yeah. that's not allowed in NetSuite. NetSuite would exactly. say, hey, that's an error and you can't do that. Where in, in QuickBooks, you can. So 
what I do is I run it through, you know, my own tool that basically flags instances where, hey, I've got a vendor bill that's debiting and crediting where I have a vendor bill where I'm debiting and crediting an AP account. I'm going to say, hey, this is going to cause an error and you either need to change, right? We either need to change the source data. So somebody needs to go into QuickBooks, change it. That's usually not an option or right. You, you know, we can convert it to a journal entry, which is more flexible, right? Because at the end of the day, we need the GL to match, right? That's like the primary goal. Um, and so we flip it from a vendor bill to a journal entry, which you can do, but then we obviously have to make sure that on that journal entry, you know, you have a, a vendor assigned because otherwise that will cause an issue. And so it's like, I've got these checks that really I'm evaluating and analyzing the data prior to even loading it into NetSuite. So that way, when I do come, when I do finally actually load, start loading data into NetSuite, you know, all of those potential issues have already been caught and addressed. Huh. So that's a very interesting example. So obviously the vendor bill is probably going to be one of the examples where you are looking at and you are looking at catching these errors before you move to your NetSuite. What other uh, you know spots do you typically look at? Uh, in biotech space, you already mentioned that you are probably not going to have invoice. So revenue side of the problems is probably not going to be there. Uh, if you have any sort of distribution or manufacturing, you have no idea how complex it gets, right? Yeah, Even yeah, distribution yeah. is going to be very complex because you have the revenue side of the equation. You know, they are going to have many different journal entries. Inventory is going to have its own journal entry. I don't know if you sort of uh, yeah, yeah. have the inventory problem there in your space. Well, I actually, I won't, with clients that have physical inventory, I won't, you know, the detailed transaction of like data load, I won't do that because of the complexities that you're talking about, right? There's NetSuite is far more complex, you know, in most ERPs than, excuse me, somebody who's coming off of QuickBooks who's been managing inventory. So most of my clients are, you know, SaaS companies, they're biotech service companies without, you know, physical inventory. You know, for items, you know, I think the way that QuickBooks and NetSuite kind of track and manage items is fairly similar. You know, I, I definitely have a little bit less experience, but, you know, I guess I was working with a client just actually this week where they have invoices where, you know, they're, they're a consulting firm and they, they have consultants that travel out to their site, the, yep. you know, client site. They have pass through expenses that they'll bill on to the client. Right. And so in, in QuickBooks, I guess the, when those transactions come over through a bank feed, right? So if you're a QuickBooks user, you know, you can, can, you can set up the credit right. card feed. So it'll post transactions straight from your, your bank statement, which is a, a great feature. Um, if you mark that as a pass-through cost, it doesn't actually create an item on the QuickBook invoice. And so in NetSuite, you can't do that, right? You have to have an item on an invoice. So we had to create, you know, a pass-through item. And assign, you know, those pass through costs that in QuickBooks didn't have an item assigned to it. In NetSuite, we had to add the item in to make it so that the data, so the invoices would load correctly. So in that, you are creating an item first, correcting the data inside QuickBooks first, or are you correcting in a, some sort of staging area where you, you are probably manipulating? I don't know. If that is done in the spreadsheet yeah, or something. Yeah, usually sort of it's done in a storing area. Yeah, in kind of a the in between state of it's it's stored in a spreadsheet on, on you know my, through my a tool that I built. But yeah, we're manipulating that data to kind of get that and then assigning saying okay, well if there are any debits or no, let's see if there are any credits to an invo on an invoice transaction that don't have an item, 
we have to look at what those are. And just basically there were 60 lines and we said, oh yeah, these are all, you know, the client was like, yeah, these are all pass-through costs. And, and so we said, okay, let's sign these to a pass-through item that we'll use to import the data into NetSuite. Yeah, so very interesting. So obviously when you look at the biotech consulting space, they are not going to have the main library transaction show you are going to have some sort of, you know, pass-through costs. Uh, but at the same time, they are probably going to have some sort of projects as well. And the whole projects object could be very complicated in general, the, the mm-hmm. amount of layers it is going to have, the amount of different transactions that is going to have. So I don't know if you migrate the projects as well as part of, uh, you know, your engagements, because that is going to have your procurement transactions. It might have inventory as well. But in this particular case, probably they don't have inventory, right? Yeah, I definitely don't have as much experience with projects. I think not at the level of complexity that you're talking about. I mean, in QuickBooks, they do have a, a you know, a project, you know, classification that's basically treated as like a sub customer within QuickBooks. And I, you know, and so it, we can assign the transactions to a project based on that sub customer, right? If you assign, like, if you look at that QuickBooks sub customer, we can assign that transaction to a customer in NetSuite and a project in NetSuite. Um, but it really depends on the client. It's a client by client, you know, how they're tracking that data. And I mean, and I think that's a big part of like any ERP implementation, like every project is unique. Every project, you really have to look at, you have to look at it, you know, on a project by project basis because everyone's kind of doing everything slightly differently. Yeah, exactly. So now let's go back to the value of data migration, right? So I don't know, again, I'm uh, sort of asking the question, okay, why are we doing the data migration? So, uh, you know, and this sounds like more of the historical data, uh, you know, and uh, would it be easier, let's say, if we kept this in some somewhere data warehouse or something like that, then bringing this data into, into the ERP. What is the core value of, of doing this data migration? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, in kind of a, a previous panel that we were on, right, I think that having a data warehouse, right, there's extra complexities to, to storing the data that way, right? Of like, now we have to sync, you know, a data warehouse with the ERP and other tools. And depending on what kind of changes you have in the legacy data, right, that's not necessarily an easier solution. I mean, it, again, maybe on a case by case, it could be. But, you know, I mean, I think the bringing in more data, like it's helpful for, you know, the FP&A team to analyze your budget versus actuals, to look at year over year comparisons. You know, if you're planning an, uh, an IPO in the future, right, you need three years of historical financials. Having all that data in your legacy system is going to really ease the reporting requirements on your accounting, your finance team, uh, as well as, you know, operationally, you know, I think, you know, I think having more data can, can be beneficial. And obviously there's a cost benefit and there's sometimes you can't get all of that data in, but, you know, I mean, I think for, especially for clients where, you know, they've got multiple subsidiaries and they're trying to, you've got like maybe, you know, I had a client that had their, their real estate property manager and they had 15 different QuickBooks files for each of their locations, right? Yeah. And so it's like saying, well, hey, like we're going to keep all that historical data in all those QuickBooks files. Well, that's like the whole point of moving to one central ERP is that, hey, I can start to manage my business in one system instead of continuing to kind of man- try to manage like 15 different QuickBooks files. And, you know, and so if you can get that data into NetSuite, you're, you're getting more value out of the system, you know, instead of, you know, almost on day one, because I've got all my historical data going back, as well as, you know, the, the buildup of data as you kind of start getting that data in 
stored in NetSuite or, or whatever system you're using. And as part of the data migration that you do, are fixed assets going to be part of that as well? Especially since you mentioned the example about those in the real estate business, and I'm pretty sure they have like a million fixed assets that they need <laughs> to track and maintain and, and bring over. So do you typically bring over the history of the fixed assets as well? No, typically not. Um, usually we would load similar to what you know, you load your op- your assets as of the go live date, right? So if we were going live on nine one, you know, we would I would work with the client, they'd give me their sub ledger and we would load the fixed asset format and, and clean up the data and then load the fixed the fixed assets into the NetSuite fixed asset module as of you know nine one. Okay, so very interesting. So for so basically when we are looking at this overarching picture of our data, is fixed asset data not as important when we are looking at these trend lines or uh, and how about auditors? Do they not care for any KPIs related to fixed assets? Well, I mean, I think they the KPIs they they still have the subledger data from prior periods. I mean, QuickBooks you're not you're typically not storing your fixed asset data in QuickBooks, right? Usually, at least in the biotech industry, you know, that's stuff that's all stored in Excel. So you would have, you still have the GL side, right? Where you purchased, you know, the, the lab equipment and then you sold it with, you know, with a recording that with a journal entry on the, on the GL side, but on the fixed asset module, at least from what I've seen, again, you know, this is, you know, one specific industry for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. It's, you know, do can we track like asset IDs? Do we know where this equipment is in the lab? We're recording depreciation. We're recording, you know, asset sales, and and that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, I know the net, you know, it's very capable of doing a lot more than that. But at least from what I've seen in my experience, for the most part, I don't see people using it for the full capability that it it could be used for. Okay, very interesting. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing advice or thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I I would love to you know help people with their data migration. If if anybody has any questions, you know, feel free to you know contact me or or visit my website. Okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be the data migration is extremely complex, and when you are going to have the audit requirements, uh, they are going to have a ton of questions. So make sure you are prepared for that. On that note, I want to thank you for your time, Paul. This has been an insightful episode. Awesome. Thanks, Sam, for having me. Of course. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Paul, head over to optimaldataconsulting.com. It's O-P-T-I-M-A-L-D-A-T-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Richard Ray, who shares his insights into the data migration challenges of financial data. Also, the interview with Thomas Plymer, who shares his insights into the automated testing of ERP. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. 
For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.